You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Do you run teacher trainings or have you thought about starting one? If so, you'll love this episode all about how to facilitate high quality 200 hour yoga teacher trainings. Even if you're not ready to run your own yoga teacher training, this episode will give you some insight on what your training did well and where it may have been lacking. If you're thinking about taking your first YTT or an additional one, hopefully listening to this episode will give you some food for thought regarding to what to look for in a training. Arundhati Bait Mangalkar is an Indian immigrant yoga teacher, host of the Let's Talk Yoga podcast, ex-Bollywood dancer, and blogger. She was named one of the top 20 yoga teachers of color to watch out for in 2020 by Yoga Walla. Arundhati hopes that her work can help lead the way for Indian yoga teachers to be more visible in the mainstream yoga world. She offers yoga teacher trainings that feature an entirely Indian-led faculty at her Seattle-area yoga studio, Aham Yoga. Arundhati's trainings include some innovative structures that support her students, and she has a lot of insight about how to improve the standards of yoga teacher trainings around the world. I know that you will love hearing her thoughts as much as I did, so let's jump right into the conversation, and I will see you on the other side. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited for our topic today to talk about teacher trainings. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this. So tell me a little bit about your first teacher training that you took as a student. What inspired you to sign up and what was the experience like? So it's it's a slightly random story. I was a professional Bollywood dancer, and this was when I still lived in India. I was a professional Bollywood dancer for about six, seven years, and I had a lot of dance injuries um, as, a, as a dancer. And I always enjoyed teaching ever since I remember. I, I was teaching dance at that point for about six years, and I loved teaching, but I also knew that dance was not what I could do forever. And, and it was also not something that I really enjoyed. I was getting to that point where a dancer's career is really short. And I was getting to that point where I needed to get into teaching something else, but I didn't know what something else was. In the background, I was trying to study for an MBA. Um, at some point, people told me I need to get a real job. So I was doing a marketing thing and, and it, I tried a whole bunch of different things, but nothing really stuck and quite accidentally, a friend recommended I try yoga and not as not as something to teach, but just as a practice to heal from all these injuries. And randomly, I stumbled across a few yoga studios back home. And even before, and this is where the story is a little strange, even before I did my first yoga class, I was one of those people who signed up for a teacher training. It was just I don't know, it just clicked. And I was like, I've all, I already teach. So let's explore this. And I, 
ended up in a teacher training and then started doing classes before the training started and fell in love with it and and finally found what I believe was my calling. And in the background, ever since I was a little kid, I enjoyed fitness and wellness and holistic living. But I also grew up for the most part in a small town in India. And this was, of course, before the internet became a big thing and social media. And we had very limited options. It's very different now. But almost a decade ago, it was very different. So that's how I kind of stumbled into teacher training. My first training, I've done several teacher trainings since. Uh, My first training was in power yoga and then realized that not everybody can sustain that and then moved on. Um, And the beauty of being in India at that point was I could explore different styles, different lineages, different teachers, and then just immersed myself, eventually gave up a lot of the dancing and moved to full-time teaching yoga. Okay, so this was how long ago? This was in India? Uh, Almost a decade ago. I was in the southern part of India in Bangalore. Tell me a little bit about what your experience was like in these trainings. What did you like about them? What do you now in hindsight wish was different? So I went in with absolutely honestly no idea of what to expect other than, you know, I read the syllabus and I was like, okay, they're going to teach me something about poses. And then there's going to be a philosophy component and stuff like that. So the thing I enjoyed the most was it was an immersion. Most of the trainings I did, you went and stayed in the shala. And my classes started, I studied in Mysore. Most of my trainings were in Mysore, which is very close to Bangalore. My class started at 5 a.m. and ended at 8 p.m. And of course, we had a break in between. But that was like an absolute immersive experience. So you leave the world behind. And all you're doing is is just different parts of yoga. And, And also having what I enjoyed was having one lead trainer who was my master teacher. And that across the couple of trainings I've done, that was a common thing. We didn't have multiple lead trainers. There was always, there were a few other teachers as faculty, but there was this one lead teacher in, in, in India, we call them yoga acharyas. And we could always go back to them till date. I can reach out to my teacher and be like, this is where I'm stuck. This is what problem I'm having. So that was the emotion. And the fact that there was one lead teacher who not who didn't just teach yoga but embodied it i came from a very competitive dance background where you know it it was you're never good enough you're never enough forget good enough you're never enough and it was always how can you be better than the person on either side and how can you be center stage and it this was a completely different contrast. My teacher was gentle. He was kind. He was humble. He told you to listen to your own body. And it, it was a completely different experience. So just how he embodied the yoga without ever talking about it was fascinating. I had a conversation yesterday with somebody on the podcast who their first yoga teacher was Korean and didn't speak any English and he didn't speak Korean. And he said he would go to the class and learn from her embodied example of yoga Mm -hmm. and that it had a Mm -hmm. tremendous impact on him. That 
is so mind-boggling to those of us, especially as teachers, we tend to maybe overemphasize the importance of our words and overthink our words and forget how much impact we can have with our presence. Mm -hmm. I want to add one more thing I enjoyed. It it occurred to me when you were talking about overthinking. Everything in the shala was simple, Madhu, super simple. My teacher would communicate with broken English. And it was just, it was so simplified. And, And we absolutely overthink all things yoga in the modern world, in the Western world, and just that simplicity. And you, it was like all the non-essentials were stripped away. I'll give you an example. Um, a simple thing was when we walked into the shala, like we entered the gate and we actually have physical gates in India. It was pin drop silence. Like you entered a state of mauna because you started conserving your energy, mental, physical, all of it even before. So all your senses were ready and could indulge in that learning experience, apart from things like no cell phones and stuff like that, and no footwear and just really simple stuff. But just that silence was so profound. And it was just simple. I haven't had the opportunity to do very many retreats because I've been a mom for (laughs) as long as I've been a yoga teacher. But one time I went on a, on a, retreat it's this it's a very uh i'm blanking on the name of it right now but it's the buddhist it's the it's all by donation anyway i'm sure that lots of people will know exactly what i'm talking about because it's it's this form of buddhism that is really well known throughout the world for offering these these retreats by donation and it was like a 10-day retreat And by the end of it, you have this entirely new relationship with sensory input because you've been away from your phone. You've been away from speech, right? They're silent retreats and you leave and your senses are so heightened. Mm -hmm. So that's what it made me think of when you were talking about the immersive experience of your teacher training and how beautiful that is and how Although I do think that we learn better in little chunks, there's something really valuable about actually leaving the day-to-day. I would, like, I teach a, a longer training myself, and it is in those chunks. It is on weekends because the people who are coming are still leading a full life outside the training. It was honestly just a privilege to be able to immerse myself like that. Now, would I recommend that form of training for others? Probably not because I was, it was, I was at the right place at the right time. And I was also in a very humble way, desperate for this to be what I needed it to be. Um, Because I was looking for this for so long. And when I found it, I was like, nothing else matters. And I know that is a privilege to be able to do that because I was younger. I was just married. My husband was like, go do what you need to do. And so it was different. Um, Today, I wouldn't recommend people do that unless they have the whole support system to do it. I don't offer those either. I mean, I think that there's, there's benefits to both. So it was really interesting to hear your experience with that. One thing I'm curious about now that you offer your own trainings, if you think back to the first time you offered a training, it's just like teaching. We learn so much by doing 
What do you wish you had known before you decided to offer your first training? Oh, I did not know that it would take over my life in such a big way. The one thing that we don't really pay attention to is the runway up to the teacher training. And especially because you said the first teacher training took me almost a year and a half to put the syllabus together. And I deliberately did it that way because I've, I come from um, um, a background of teachers who really focus on, you know how teacher trainings were done. They didn't exist for the longest time. You spent your lifetime with the teacher. And in fact, some of my teachers still, they don't offer teacher trainings. And then you're just an apprentice. And whenever they think you are ready, you start teaching. So for me, it was in a way, very culturally, I had to be aware of, I'm stepping into something that my teachers took a lifetime to get to. So I took my own time to build that syllabus because I think teacher trainings are so powerful. They get such a bad rap from, you know, just because of what's happening, but they're so powerful. They're transformational. Mine was transformational. So I took my time to, to get to that syllabus that I thought would help the student. And teacher trainings are not about the teacher offering it. It's completely about who's your, who's in front of you and how you have to meet where your candidates are at. And each one of them will be at a different level. So just that runway to teacher training took a very long time. And I'm happy it took a very long time. Um, and just, it's, it's just a huge commitment and it's not just what you put on the calendar. There's so much before, during, and after, and it fills up your life. And I was doing this while running a dance studio and a yoga studio. And I was largely alone because I was still new at it and stuff like that. So I probably worked way more than most people would want to um, and gave up a lot in that process to do it. And now things have changed, but yeah, just filled up everything. So did you have to change your plan a lot based on the actual people in front of you? Largely, no, no, because I went in thinking, okay, if this is scenario, this is one, then I have these, these, these options. And if this is my second scenario, I have these options. The thing I did, and I still do, is I meet with all the candidates before we actually start training, because I'm very clear that I'm not a fit for everyone. And similarly, not everybody is a fit for our trainings. So really understanding, making sure we're on the same page and, and explaining to them as to what they'll expect and what is also not in the training. I think that's really important for lead trainers to communicate and also to be like, this is the introductory training. And then if you want a deeper immersive, these topics can only be done if you have this foundation and this comes at a later point or I'm not the person to teach you this, but I can send you to people who eventually can help you. And being very clear that you can't learn all of yoga and not one teacher can meet all your needs. And there is no fast track. This is a lifelong process in so many ways. And just being very clear about your deliver deliverables and also what's not going to be in your training. I think that's really good. Being so clear from the beginning with each individual person, mm -hmm. this is what's included and this is what's not included. I think that's awesome. And I think you touched on this a little bit, but I'd love some examples for when have you met with somebody and said very clearly, this is not the training for you. So there was one instance 
um, actually, let me take a step back. In my early days, when I had just introduced teacher training, I had this thing of you have to come and practice at the studio for like eight sessions or 10 sessions or something, just so you see how I teach, you understand what what I'm sharing as yoga, and let's make sure we meet at the same level. And there were also a certain list of prerequisites, like you should know at least this amount of asana, little bit of philosophy and stuff like that. I don't do that anymore because it was not practical. A lot of my trainees came from islands around Seattle and two hours to the studio. It was just not practical. So I dropped that eventually. But the one time I said no to a student was she had never done yoga before. And I have a very strong, you have to have at least a year of experience, if not more, of consistent practice. And she she did not live in the States. Um, and she had no yoga practice, had never really been to many formal yoga classes, and would have no idea. So I offered the training to her as a immersion. And that's, of course, available to everyone. You study it, but you don't do the certifying components of the training. But she didn't want that. She was like, it was like going to university and not graduating. So we just didn't see eye to eye in that moment. And I know where I was taking the trainees and it would have been a huge jump if you've never even been in a yoga class before. That's when I said no. So that's so interesting based on your personal experience, because you hadn't done yoga when you signed up for your first training. So I signed up, but I had three months before that to go and get as much experience as I wanted or could. But I was also somebody, Madhu, who literally from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. would sit and study yoga just to, to keep up. And I'm somebody who jumps in fully and and embraced it and then spent the next decade still exploring it um so it was just she came to one class i remember and she was absolutely lost and there was no way i could do justice to her and the other candidates it's like you've got to have some experience you've at, i at least knew a surya namaskar before i went into training and but if you have no clue I'm just taking your money and I'm not doing any, any good to you. So, so that's just what up. It seems like you can also maybe have a felt sense of a person as you meet them where you could say, well, okay, look, you don't have a lot of experience, but I can tell that once you start something that you pick up really quickly and that mm -hmm. you will spend the first three months, the three months until the, the training starts really getting yourself up to speed versus somebody who has expectations that somehow you're going to wave a magic wand and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. magically imbue them with the knowledge. And I have in the past given, like people do sign up. They don't know me. They do sign up. And I tell them from now to whenever the training starts, I want you to commit to a regular practice. And I also have a little, um, it's not a module, but a little pre-training syllabus that goes out, which recommends what they can do. So when they step into training, we can go zero to 60 very comfortably and not have to be like, okay, you have to first start to develop a physical practice. And this is what yoga is all about. So they have a little bit of pre-reading that comes in, 
they that is optional blogs now podcasts um and then they have a recommended practice thing and in that practice they have certain things that are recommended like surya namaskars at least can you practice these 10 poses regularly because it will give you so much more insight when we do this here's your basic philosophy um and just getting their feet wet um but i strongly think the students have to be ready to be that sponge just absorb as much as you can and i'm not going to give you are a teacher now certificates just because somebody paid me for it and and that's something i make very clear because my end goal is always about how is the yoga being represented i've always told my teachers we're ambassadors of yoga we're just channels through which it goes from our generation to the next generation and it's we're not a big part of that equation it comes through us and it gives us a lot but we've also to have to give back to it so i'd also love to hear some examples of things that you tell people this is not in my basic training oh okay so things that are not in the basic training yoga nidra there is pranayama but it's basic pranayama they get a full 35 40 hour pranayama in the next level of training restorative yoga that is it's it's an experience a few poses are taught to them so in in the real world when they step out they can still use it but again there's a full module in the second one okay um there's there's deeper anatomy in the second one there is more arm balance and deeper inversions in the second one second one being the next next training so some of those things are things i don't include i don't have my syllabus in front of me but that's what's popping up so i'd also love to hear what you think separates a high quality teacher training from one that's more substandard oh that's is such a great question i think a high quality training really depends and this may not be the a direct answer to your question right away but i think it comes down to who your lead trainers are and and the way they've approached yoga because as lead trainers teacher trainers they have they have such an opportunity to create impact and they have influence because what you teach in a teacher training is what somebody will think is yoga forever and so i think it's it's a responsibility to to do the best you can so high quality trainings for me are transparent trainings they'll tell you exactly what to expect they should be able to put their syllabus in front of you and say here's our syllabus this is what we cover this is what we do not cover um and this is why we don't cover it and here are other options if you are wanting to learn only this and also i think high quality trainings will highlight more than just yoga poses more than just how to teach a vinyasa flow class i love vinyasa don't get me wrong and that's what i do a lot of but not just completely focused on poses and be like okay here's a little more of everything and we meet our base yoga alliance requirements um A, a training should be able to showcase their syllabus including their manual and not really hide that from you and most high quality trainings will offer some sort of an open house or a master class where 
you can actually go through everything, ask questions, and being very transparent about who your faculty is and how long have they been teaching, who are their teachers, and what kind of an approach is this teacher training taking? And what will you get? What are their deliverables at the end of the day? Um, when you complete your training, what do they expect you will be able to do and what you will know? Um, and just being very con if if you're selling a teacher training, you shouldn't hesitate to share any of this. And then, of course, being very clear about the payment, what's included, what's not included, what the schedule is, just that overall professionalism and looking at the logistics of things. Um, for me personally, and this is probably because I trained in India, I don't know. Um, a high quality training will test or will have some form of test or something that is, is required to actually earn your certificate as a teacher. I've heard so often that there is no testing. There is no practice. There's not enough practice even to stand in front of that group and be like, here's I'm practicing my teaching skills. So to actually have some form of a hurdle that you have to get through to be like, okay, I have learned all that I possibly can. And I'm kind of ready. It's never going to be, you're never going to be confident once you graduate a teacher training. It takes time. You learn on in the real world. But being really transparent about this is how we test. Um, like in my trainings, we have an oral practice class. They have practice class throughout, but we for the final one, we bring in volunteers. They've never met them. They've got a peak post. They've got a sequence to it. They've got to look at a whole bunch of things like this student's pregnant. This one's got a wrist issue. This one's got a back issue. This one's twisted her ankle. And just make them understand as much as they can before they graduate. And I think that's really important in high quality trainings. I might have gone off on my own tangent. <laughs> no, 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 no. That was, that was great stuff. I'm curious, have you ever failed somebody? Failed their test? No, I have asked for a redo. So basically how I set it up is I tell them, I also only do small group trainings, just from six to eight people at best. Okay. I don't take in too many because I, I feel like I cannot give them enough attention if the room is packed, especially within 200 hour, a 300 hour, I've gone up to 12. But um, I feel like during a training, the lead trainers should be available. You set the schedule. I'm available between so-and-so hours. These are our office hours. This is where you can reach out. We have weekly calls and things like that. But being fully available to handhold them during that journey, it's really important. And later, but during that journey more so. Um, I tell candidates that if you, by the time we get to practicing for your final class set, if you are not up to it, one, I should be able to spot that with you. And two, I will not let you get to that final moment unless you are ready. And if that means you need more time, we'll do all that it takes to give you that, that time and effort. Um, but there are two opportunities to redo. And I wouldn't put the volunteers are my paying studio clients. And I wouldn't put either of them in that situation if they're not ready. So it comes from a very compassionate place of I will we'll do everything it takes, but you've got to meet me halfway. Um, and and no, but there was once where I asked for a redo 
not in front of the students, that's a back-end conversation, um, and said exactly why the, the redo was required. And we have like a list of, a checklist of things we need for the final one. And then did a redo. And honestly, I was like, you sh- we, it was great that we did the redo because she saw her own growth. Mm. But it's happened only once in six years. And it sounds like because you keep the group sizes so small and you can really give them actual mentorship that it's much less likely that that's going to happen. Whereas, you know, bigger trainings, I've taught in trainings of 30, 35 people, and it's hard to keep track of everybody. It's impossible to give them, you know, you can keep track of some people, you can catch some people, but you're going to miss others. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it is... It is, while I also understand that six and eight may not be sustainable forever, but I have very consciously done that so that I can be invested. I'd rather graduate a few teachers who are really confident, not just confident, but who are content that they've learned yoga. Teacher training is more about learning yoga for yourself first. You are your first student. Um, If you can't teach yoga to yourself, you can't teach it to other people. And I always tell the trainees, and this happens on day one, like the world doesn't need more yoga teachers. It needs better yoga teachers. And that is us getting uncomfortable in many moments of the training. And, And everything is offered, you know, with, with a lot of, lot of empathy and transparency. And it's, it's, it, it's a, it should be a rewarding journey, not just for the teacher, but also it's a two-way street between the teacher and the student. It's a dialogue. So yeah, I think small group trainings have a lot of value. I can see the, the power in that for sure. One of the things I've noticed about people in teacher trainings, and this is obviously not everybody, but a great number of them show up with a lot of anxiety and show up with a lot of taking everything really seriously and kind of overthinking everything. And I wonder if it's easier for you to mitigate that in a small group, or if you've had that same experience, or maybe it doesn't come up as much in a small group. But one of the things I have found myself doing a lot during teacher trainings is telling the trainees again and again, it's a process, it's going to happen slowly. Don't don't add to your burden by stressing about it, show up, do your practice and let it unfold. I actually tell them being nervous. I ask them on day one, like what excites you? What scares you? What's your biggest challenge in being fully present? We have those conversations and yes, it's probably easier to do because it's a small group, but I actually tell them to use this nervous energy as fuel to do better. Why are you nervous? Because it, you're ex- it's unexpected stuff that's going to happen. So, okay, if you're, if you're nervous about that, here's the agenda for today. Here is all you need to do by the end of the day. And we circle back to that. This is what we've done today. Don't think of everything else. Just, you know, focus only on this. And then once you're done here, we move to the next one. And then we move to the next one. And I asked them from a month ago, are you feeling better today? Do you feel like you know a little more? Then three months from now, do you feel like you know a little more? And could you have done this on day one? And just really bringing them back, checking them back into that that loop. And this is why I think the lead trainers 
really need to be able to switch between what that student goes through and find what their pain points are, their blockages are, their obstacles are. And in many ways, I hope that we remember our experience when we were trainees and, and humanize this whole experience for whoever is there. Um, and it, it's, it's a huge commitment. It's like at the end of the day, I'm exhausted after teacher trainings. Like I come home and I'm out of it. I'm in bed under a blanket <laughs> because you've, you've, it's, I think the lead trainers have to always see, be a step ahead of where their students are. And that what eventually should hopefully help. Yeah, I think those are two really great pieces of advice or really great strategies to invite them to celebrate and use their nervousness. And also, I really liked how you said that you help them see their progress. And, you know, that that is just one of the jobs of the trainer is to hold space for the anxiety and the overthinking that comes up and to to be there to tell them, yeah, it's okay. You normal that you feel that way and you'll get through it. We all we all have. Absolutely. And also to give them clarity. Like this is this is are you I'm like you're nervous. Thank God you're nervous. I would be nervous if you weren't nervous. Because if you're nervous, you will prepare and prepare and study. And that's nervous is what it's for me. It's a sign of sincerity in many ways. And I also encourage everyone to laugh at moments where they get stuck, moments where they think they've failed. And I always ask them, I'm like, is this the hardest thing you have done? No, probably not. Right. And so and and to just. I laugh at myself a lot in the trainings and I'm like, make all the mistakes you want to make here. This is a safe place to make the mistakes. Do you rather test all of this here? So in the real world, you are already stepping in, having done this, having learned from it. I tell them I did a lot of these things in the real world and learned the hard way. Um, and how, and, and it creates such a sense of community and everyone encourages each other and, it it's more I'm always believe I'm teaching the trainees yoga for themselves and not necessarily how they will show up in a group class. And I feel like if your foundation is set right or you build a strong foundation, everything on top of that will just get stronger and stronger and stronger. And that's so true. I think that's such a great focus for participants in a teacher training to be reminded again and again, build your own practice first, build your own practice first. In this one last thing, I don't know if this is related to what you were asking, but I always give all the trainees an option about midway or a little beyond midway to pull out of the I want to certify option or take on the I want to certify option because the two roads of immersion studies are different and actually stepping out to teach are different. So sometimes people change their mind and they want to go from one group to the other and just allowing space for that. Um, and also being very clear of what the expectations are and what support systems are available. That's great. I love that. I love that you offer an immersion as well. I have one final question before we wrap up. I would love to hear if you had a magic wand and you could wave a magic wand and influence all the yoga teacher trainings around the world, what would be your top priority? 
Oh my gosh. Ah, such a great question. I think it would be to not, couple of things, to realize that yoga is a cultural practice and to, to honor and respect the fact that it comes from, from the Hindu tradition. And it's so much more than just, you know this, I know this, but I wish the world knew it. It's so much more than fitness and workout and stuff like that. That's one. And the focus to shift from generating teachers to generating people who live their yoga or imperfectly. We all live our yoga imperfectly, but at least we try. And to just raise the bar in terms of what is acceptable in teacher trainings. And also, and I'm going to keep adding to this list, Madhu, just tell me to stop at some point, but just to, to raise the bar for what, to, what is expected in a teacher training, to raise the bar for lead teachers. I think there has to be a lot of scrutiny as to what we do in these teacher trainings, personal scrutiny, and to just raise the bar for ourselves and not be forced to offer them if we don't feel called to do it. And yoga was a, is, is a lifetime study, right? Masters of yoga, yogis did it forever. We are in a rush to just get there very quickly because we think that's what we define as success. But success is not running full yoga teacher trainings. And a lot of times it's complete. I know people who are like, I don't want to do anything with teacher trainings. So just raising the bar overall, I think everything else will get en encapsulated in that. Yeah. And I really love the emphasis that you have on training the people who signed up for your training, educating them about the priority of their own practice and being a student first. And I especially just love how you allow them to switch tracks because a lot of times people sign up for a teacher training when what they really want is to learn about yoga, but they somehow mm -hmm. justify it to themselves because, oh, I'll have a certificate at the end. And most people who sign up for teacher trainings never end up teaching. And I think that's totally fine because there's no better environment to learn yoga than a teacher training because everybody shows up so fully in that, in that space. They show up really eager to learn and, and the, it spreads, it's contagious, right? To the other students. Absolutely. Can I add one more thing if we have time? Of course, go ahead. Um, the other option that I think teacher train, trainers and studios should allow more for is the opportunity to come back to trainings. For example, all these candidates who say, I just want to study yoga. Okay. I don't want them to feel pressurized to meet that end goal if they're not ready, but they have the option to come back the year after. Like I'll give you an example. Um, this year I had a trainee last year, sorry. I had a trainee who didn't have, a, um, who barely met the base requirements of practice, but she was so sincere. She actually went in that gap from signing up to training, came to practice class every day, almost every day, read all the books, not all the books, but read a decent amount, reported back to me, checked back in, but she did her certification. She grew so much in those few months, but she didn't get her teacher training certificate. She's coming back next time we run it to actually stand in front of the group, teach the class, do all that's required, and then walk away with her certificate. And just allowing space for people to, to come back to it. And she comes back at no extra cost. It's just she has to work with our schedule and a few other base requirements. But as lead trainers and studios to 
be responsible for these teachers once they graduate it's you can't just let them go there has you do it this with the impact club i'm guessing i do it with my own stuff but to constantly have um, a check in process that's formalized and that if possible comes at very little extra cost or no extra cost if possible um but there has to be that follow up and feedback loop and accountability for the lead trainers and the studio so they generate holistic teachers wholesome teachers i love that i think that's brilliant that you have set this up so that there's less pressure on mm-hmm. your trainees to become teachers quickly and because it just takes people different amounts of time so that's really wonderful absolutely absolutely and even coming back to sit in the sessions is allowed like you want to come back to anatomy you want to come back to sequencing you just want to come and sit in the whole teacher training there's one there are two two conditions they have to fill there's no conflict of interest and they should have completed it on round 1 okay and then for life they can come back oh that's brilliant i love it well thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your insight about teacher trainings with me today i really love this conversation If listeners want to find out more about you, I know you have your own podcast. Where should they check where should they go to check you out? So, I live on Instagram sadly. I'm trying to get better at it. That's at Arundhati Bait Mangalkar. Um or they can find me at the podcast Let's Talk Yoga and my studio sits at ahamyoga.com. I really love the way that Arundhati supports her students after the training is over. That's such a special feature because I've heard from so many yoga teachers that they felt kind of dropped after the original training was complete. Teacher trainings are really fascinating in general because the people who sign up for them generally don't have the skill set to assess the quality of the training they're signing up for. In a way, going through yoga teacher training is kind of like having a baby in that there isn't any way to fully understand ahead of time the full extent of the transformation that you're going to experience. I'm glad that there are people like Arundhati in the yoga industry who are so committed to improving our standards because there are still so many really poor quality yoga teacher trainings out there. I regularly get private messages and emails from yoga teachers who are either angry about unethical behavior from their trainers or devastated when they figure out that the teacher training they took didn't live up to minimum standards that they were supposed to meet. Teacher trainings are so very different from each other depending on the style, the expertise of the lead trainers, and even the desires of the people who sign up. I live in kind of a yoga mecca and I've taught a lot of teacher trainings around here. And I've also been a guest teacher at teacher trainings in areas where yoga is less well established. And no matter the quality of the trainers, I've been surprised by how the background and the expectations of the other students impacts the quality of the training. So there's a lot going on here, and I truly believe that most yoga teacher trainers go into the training with the best of intentions. However, we also know that intentions don't always line up with impact and we have to keep impact front and center, especially when it comes to a role of such big responsibility like training other yoga teachers. 
If you're thinking about running your own yoga teacher training, the number one bit of advice I would give you is to connect with a mentor who has run a lot of yoga teacher trainings in the past. This mentor could help you with your Yoga Alliance application if you want to register your school with them. They could give you feedback on your curriculum and your manual, and they can help you troubleshoot questions and challenges that come up during the training. Running a teacher training is a really big project and it's a really big responsibility. Yes, you can and definitely will learn on the job, but your first batch of students deserves more than your best intentions and you just don't know what you don't know. So find a mentor who you trust and whose style you resonate with so that you can avoid a lot of the pitfalls that new trainers can fall into and give your first cohort of students a better experience. And of course, as much as you wanna invite your trainees to prioritize their practice, it is that much more important for a teacher trainer. It's a common story that when somebody first starts teaching yoga, they often lose connection with their own practice. And this can happen to the teacher trainer as well, especially those who care so much about the quality of their training that they devote hours and hours and weeks and months to creating the curriculum and communicating with their students. One of the best skill sets you can model for your new trainees is your commitment to your practice. As you plan for a new YTT, I encourage you to consider what support structures you can put into place to keep your personal practice a priority as you undertake a huge new responsibility. Of course, that invitation stands whether you are training other teachers or not. It is the heart of our opportunity as yoga teachers. So with that said, thank you for listening all the way through. And thank you for caring enough to teach yoga and for caring so much that you might even be considering training other teachers. As Arundhati says, we don't necessarily need more yoga teachers in the world. We do need better teachers. Have a beautiful rest of your day. And I hope you'll join me again next week for another episode of Knowledge, Techniques, and Inspiration for your teaching and your practice.